Today's episode of Your Stories is sponsored by Cards Against Humanity. They asked us not to read an ad, so enjoy the show! Your Stories is a wonderful opportunity to share all the highs and lows of being a nerd. You know that hobby you have that you don't talk to anyone about? It's a secret you don't like to share because it might make you feel weird. Maybe you're into something different. Uh, comic books, fantasy football, push-ups. Your Stories, to me, has been this really kind and welcoming space where people just have the guts to be really honest and they share their voices and their stories with everyone there, no questions asked. Uh, I've heard stories about all those things. Uh, maybe not not a lot of push-ups. I maybe haven't heard a lot of stories about push-ups. The Nerdalogs is group therapy meets Toastmasters. I know there's always a place where my odd thoughts and unusual habits will be welcomed and championed in a warm, supportive environment by other nerds just like me. And what's fun is you'll see people in the audience one month, and then all of a sudden they uh, go up and tell their story. So your story becomes their story, and their story is your story, and then it's our story, and then it's a podcast, so it's everybody's story, and then you've shared it, and gosh, that's great, huh? And even if you don't think you're a nerd, you probably are. It's easily the most Midwestern thing I've ever been a part of. Hey everybody, I'm Eric Arnaud and this is the Nerdalogs Presents Your Stories podcast. This week, we've got a recording of our last live show, which you probably remember me talking about because it was super awesome. That took place downstairs at the Beat Kitchen for the first time ever, as we welcomed the incredibly talented folks behind the film production group Muscular Clown, as well as Dwight's awesome new rock band, Grey Ghost. We got together to celebrate Muscular Clown's comedy, The Street Wizard's Apprentice, which just the night prior had won an award for Best Web Series at the FilmQuest Festival in Provo, Utah. This episode... You'll hear from four of the super talented dudes behind Muscular Clown, plus a special appearance from Mr. Ben Rathert, an annual Your Stories favorite. Uh, you'll also get music from myself, Dwight, and Katie Johnston-Smith, featuring backup from the other members of Grey Ghost. That means for the second time ever, uh, we have a full band on the show, and also Ben will sing a song. This is a really cool episode. Uh, our next live Your Stories recording is now less than two weeks away on Sunday, October 15th, back upstairs at the Beat Kitchen. Since it's October, the theme once again is horror stories. Uh, we're going to have a spooky, cool celebration of the macabre and things adjacent to it. And there are still a few open spots for storytellers, so if you'd like to share something, you can email yourstories at nerdalogs.com with a story pitch and we'll get back to you ASAP. Um, before we get to the show, let me also just say you can totally watch The Street Wizard's Apprentice if you're curious. Just look up Street Wizard's Apprentice or Muscular Clown on Facebook or YouTube. Um, it's like 22 minutes, super worth your time. It's way good. All right, guys. You ready to rock? The theme tonight is Living Spell, because that is also the theme of uh, the Muscular Clown web series, award-winning that we're going to watch after this. We're going to play songs about magic. You guys ready?
guys so much. Thanks to the band once again. Guys, let's... We're going to be back with more songs uh, that we did and didn't write, but let's get to some stories. Like I said, so tonight we are spotlighting the creative talents of uh, Muscular Clown, which is a comedy video production group that just uh, literally last night won an award at the Film Quest Festival in Provo, Utah for Best Web Series, which is fucking cool. And we're going to screen their series, The Street Wizard's Apprentice. This is the titular street wizard, a veteran of this show and a wonderful man. Please welcome to the stage, Kyle Talley. Deficit Disorder, check, aka ADD. Uh, attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, ADHD, also check. Night Terrors, as a child, I had terrible, terrible night terrors, also check. But the two things that fucked me up the most uh, were dyslexia and dysgraphia. Um, for those who don't know what dyslexia is, it, it's a general term for a disorder that involves uh, difficulty in learning to read or interpret words, letters, and other symbols. But that does not affect general intelligence. I want you guys to remember that, because that's going to be important later. <laughs> Dysgraphia, uh, which is a learning disability that affects uh, one's writing abilities, it means that, like, I, like, you know how you sometimes think, oh, man, I'm, I'm thinking faster than I can write. I literally can't process how quickly... Uh, like, not, I'm thinking, like, like the flash, like, I'm like, oh, I can read a book in a minute. I, I just, I have a hard time connecting what I'm thinking to what I'm writing. Uh, so, where was that? Uh, it can manifest as difficulties with spelling, poor handwriting, uh, trouble putting one's thoughts onto paper. So, growing up, uh, with, with most of these learning disabilities, it really didn't affect my day-to-day -day life, because all young kids are hyperactive, and to some extent, all of them have short attention spans. So being an attention deficit, hyperactive kid doesn't really matter as far as like, you know, up until like third grade. Uh, and in fact, I never really did feel dumb until third grade when we began participating in the cruelest grade school invention ever made. And no friends, I'm not speaking about the presidential fitness test or the mile run. Uh, no, I am speaking of the spelling bee. Dun, dun, dun. Yes, the terrible spelling bee. Now, some of you may be thinking, Kyle, don't be silly. The spelling bee, spelling bee is fine, you said. Wrong, I reply. <laughs> the spelling bee enforces the idea that how one interprets letters and symbols is equivalent to their intelligence. Spelling, spelling bees generally teach kids to memorize words rather than uh, actually learn them in uh, fluency, as I'm having a hard time doing right now. Um, now. Now, of course, literacy teaching does involve a lot of repetition and practice, no doubt. But to master the process, 
it, you don't necessarily need to be brought up in front of one's peers and ridiculed publicly for not knowing how to spell a word. Um, so you're saying to yourself, okay, okay, we get it, Kyle. You don't like spelling bees. But you see, it's more than a simple dislike. In grade school, spelling bees made my life a living spell. <laughs> Roll credits. I'm done. Now, um, but really, like the week before school, we had, before the spelling bee, uh, we, had, we had a practice bee in our class. And that was the first time I learned or at least thought I was dumb. It was the first of many times to follow where I would be laughed at and not understand why. Uh, the day of the school spelling bee, uh, with all the third grade classes, all five of them, uh, I tried to fix it. But my parents, alas, at, at, at third grade, I wasn't as good of an actor as I am now. Uh, <laughs> and so they were not fooled, and they sent me to school anyway saying, you know, we'll see you later in the afternoon at the spelling bee. So the day of the bee comes and goes and, you know, it, all the fifth grade classes line up and uh, we're on stage. And when it gets to me, I stand up and I get my word. And uh, again, I misspell that word. Wow. I, I also misspelled everything I just read. Uh, um, <laughs> I misspelled it pretty badly. Uh, and there was actually some snickers in the audience from, like, adults. Uh, it, and I sat down and realized, damn, I'm pretty dumb, you know? And that sucks as a kid to feel less than for something you cannot control. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's not like I'm saying it scarred me for life or anything. I'm not... You know, it's not like I remember the word bounce. The word was bounce. <laughs> but I will say that it had an impact. I stopped caring about spelling and caring about trying to improve my literacy. Because of that, I missed out on a lot of adolescent reading, like all the high school reading I didn't do. You know, people who read Shel Silverstein for fun and all that kind of stuff, nothing with me. Uh, I, in fact, I didn't start reading again for fun until late college. But then again, not reading helped foster my love for storytelling. So who can say for sure? What I can say for sure is that thanks to Audible, I now have access to thousands of different audiobooks. That means I never have to read with my dumb eyes again. Now I can enjoy books at the gym, in the car, on a bus, or in the library. In fact, you can use this month's promo code, code NERDOLOGS, that's N-E-R-D-O-L-O-G-S, for a free trial month. Thank you all. Kyle Kelly, everybody, thank you so much for that dynamic mid-roll copy read. Oh my gosh. Um, I do want to say, man, Kyle, I, I feel you so hard on the presidential fitness test thing. Those were the worst days of school for me. Anybody else out there feel that? I was, like, deathly afraid of those. Just me? All right, fuck you guys. I guess you're all a bunch of Adonises out there who can run a mile and climb a rope. Good for you. Good for you guys. We don't like to gatekeep here. That's not nice. That's not what we're about. Anyway, coming next to the stage. This gentleman is one of the videographers and producers of Muscular Clown, an incredibly thoughtful and talented gentleman, and I think he's going to talk about one of my favorite pastimes. Please welcome Mr. Drew Creel!
So, my life has become a living spell in a very fortunate and nerdy way. About four years ago, I was able to join an amazing group of friends and rivals in the cunning, strategic, and drug-like game of Magic the Gathering. Yeah! Um, I'm gonna be bold here and say that my arrival to Chicago about five years ago was a pivotal trigger in the chain reactions of, in the chain reaction of friendships that collided in card game combat. Um, I had foolishly decided to not bring my cards to my card game collection initially to Chicago for some silly reason, and I had forgotten that Andrew Bentley had, was a former addict who still had his card collection, and it only took one game to get me back on that steep hill. Um, I immediately called my mom and had her ship my cards from to Chicago from Florida. Uh, it only took a few games before I found out that Eric and Dwight also played Magic. Uh, if you're an avid listener of the show, you can only imagine how a couple games might time spiral into player in a chaos. Um, no one could have had future sight for the conflux of card game addicts that were laying dormant in Chicago. Uh, I believe it was Eric who made the Facebook post that was heard across the multiverse. Um, it was like the Horn of Gondor. Soon we had like 12 people dying to scratch that old itch. Um, we had a couple game nights together and it wasn't long before it became apparent we had like enough people for a good old magic draft. Um, and it only took a few drafts before, I think it was Chris Geiger, who came up with the, at least the initial premise for what is now the infamous Mega Draft. Um, now, if you don't play Magic, you may have noticed that I haven't bothered explaining how the game was played. <laughs> don't worry, I'm not going to, it'd be boring as fuck. Um, but I do want to mention that the major difference between a normal draft and a mega draft is that a mega draft is played more like fantasy football, I'd say, um, where cards are picked by wizards one at a time, um, then played in a multi-month-long tournament where people are allowed to trade between each other and things in a big playoff, you know, and it's a fucking hell of a time. But, um... So this has been going on for like four years now, and we're on the sixth season of the Mega Draft. Uh, the Facebook group is up to like 40 or 50 people, I think. Um, not everybody drafts. The drafts are only like, like from 12 to like 20 people, maybe, is the max we've had it. But um, it's been uh, the best, you know, phenomena in friendship making uh, for me. Just opened up a huge, you know, circle of people that. I would have never met, having just moved to Chicago, and you know, I mean, I, I think you know it probably would have taken longer to meet a lot of you guys. I think inevitably being in the comedy circle would have happened, but it's been awesome. So thank you. Thank you, Drew Creel, one of the progenitors of the Magic League. Uh, you guys can disregard what he said about the super secret private Facebook group. It's not real. We definitely, uh, no bullshit in there all the fucking time. Like, anytime there's a new spoiler for a card, and then we have a 20 comment thread debating its merit. 
Is Nate Bentel here now? No, but... I, I, I'm not going to say anything mean about Nate He has to be here if not funny. Nate's the world's best Magic the Gathering player. So, <laughs> we have... There's one person here tonight who is not part of Muscular Clown, though maybe he could be. Maybe you guys can recruit him after the show. He came all the way up from Duquoin, Illinois. Does anybody know where that is? Yeah. A surprising amount of people. So this gentleman is... Uh, He's one of the best people I know, and he tries to do this once a year, and he just tells me when he wants to come, and I say, great, you're in the show. Uh, I don't know what else to say about him, except he's just fucking amazing. Please welcome Mr. Benjamin Rather. I'm going to grab this stand. All right. Guys, guys, good Lord, thank you for having me tonight. I love your stories. This is no exaggeration. This remains out of 42 podcasts I will listen to every week. This is my favorite podcast. Every week. And that's a thanks to Eric's. That's a thanks to uh, Cover Stories, to Katie, Dwight, Becca, and, and everyone who tells stories or will tell stories in the future. To me, you know, first thing in the morning when I'm listening to it. I love it. Uh, and also, guys, little spoiler, Andrew Bentley is here. Yeah. That's right. That's right. All right. Guys, I've been writing this story for about a month now, and I think I've finally gotten it to settle down. It's kind of like when you need to get your two-year-old into the car when she's really distracted, but I, I think we're ready to go here. For four years now, I've lived in the small town of Duquoin, Illinois, way downstate of here, almost down to the tip. Um, I live with my wife, Nikki, with my son, Henry, and my daughter, Evie. Um, I, myself, am a family practice doctor. I work with some of our more uh, financially not so well off patients, a lot of Medicaid patients and whatnot there. It's hard work, but it's meaningful to me and I love what I do and I plan to keep on doing it for all the years to come here. Yeah. My son Henry is five. He just started all day school. Um, he's great. I love him to death. He's still five and he gets irritated when I can't literally read his mind because he doesn't understand the difference yet. My daughter, Evie, is able to speak in three-word sentences now. She's about 22 months old. Uh, she's got long hair that I don't know what to do with. Uh, and my wife, Nikki, has started a weeding business out of our home, and uh, that's going really well. She's, really, she's making baby wraps that you wear and you know, put your baby in. Uh, it, she's amazing. Everything's amazing. My life is wonderful. But the thing is, what's come with that is a lot of predictability. My life is incredibly stable, and I'm deep in my grooves. Um, not only can I tell you what, hap what will happen next week, I could probably was going to tell you what's happened next year. We just went to the state fair in DuCoin a few weeks ago, and it's the same fair that's been there for decades now. There's been no changes at all. Uh, see, the thing is, my life up to this point has been a series of goals. Uh, they're all laid out one after the other. Finish high school, finish undergrad, finish your medical school, residency, find a girl that will tolerate you, marry her, have kids with her. It, it, and all these things have happened, and it's wonderful, and I certainly can't complain about them, but at the same time, my day-to-day -day goals now are things like put daily effort into your marriage, tell your friends that you still love and care about them, treat your children with respect. These aren't goals with endpoints. You just keep doing them every day, and it's very different work than what I'm used to, because I like to put things on the list and cross them off the list, and put things on the list and cross them off the list, and that's not me. Anyway, again, not to say that I'm not thankful for what it is I get to do in my life. I get time in the wood shop, I get time to work on the house, I get to read with my kids and play with them, and it's wonderful, but there's a lot of life, and it's the same every week, and it's like I'm in a living spell, and it doesn't end. Yeah. See, when I was younger, nothing was so laid out or built. 
My day-to-day felt much more random and coincidental. If something good happened to me, I honestly felt like it was a message from the universe saying, you're doing all right. Here you go, Ben. Coincidence is like hearing a song I was just singing on the radio then a few minutes later, or thinking about a friend, and then suddenly they call me. Literally, that felt like a voice from the great beyond, just trying to say something generic, but something good. I was raised in church, and I honestly took a lot of these little coincidences in my life to be some kind of a higher power God who was speaking directly to me to say, you know, like, I I don't know what it is you're doing down there, but I approve. (laughs) Anyway, uh, as life has gone by and the years have gone by, this magic and the day-to-day coincidences has kind of faded out, and I don't draw meaning from these little things that happen anymore. Um, maybe it's like a functional numbness that I've picked up because of all the things I have to do during the day, or maybe it's just reality that's kind of set in, I'm not sure. But I was thinking recently about something that happened last year and coincidences in the direction that your life takes, and I wanted to tell you a brief story. Nikki and I love to travel with the kids. We've been lucky enough to travel with them to California, England twice, Montana several times, we've gone to Florida. Travel can be exhausting, but it gives us something we need perspective. We need that badly in our lives. Last August, when Evie was about nine months old, we were both feeling the itch to travel. We hadn't gone anywhere for nine months. So kind of last minute, we planned this trip to the Grand Canyon by train. It was a great trip. We had a great time. But guys, it's a 34-hour trip in the train one way. From Chicago to there, it's 34 hours. Anyway, um, Nikki had been once before. I'd never been. We wanted to go. The first leg of the trip took us from our hometown of DuCoin up here to Chicago. We got together with a few friends uh, that we've known all our lives. One such was Mr. Jeremy Connie. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there we go. A brief sidebar here. Do you have any people in your life that you know have changed the course of which your life has taken, but you can't fully comprehend all the details? Well, Jeremy is one such for me. He's been a constant source of love and companionship throughout my entire life, and I, I I, I love him to death. But we met the beginning of my freshman year in this line for this thing called Fat Don's. If anybody is familiar with you, it was this gigantic feed where for a mere swipe of your iCard, you could have barbecue or steaks or burgers as large as a small dog. There was ice cream and cookies and it was just like a a big festival, a carnival, and I had to check it out. People kept saying, you gotta go, man. So I did. I was in line for a few minutes when up behind me, rollerblades, young Jeremy Connie. We uh, immediately strike up a conversation, we have a ton in common, and it just goes from there. Well, one thing we have in common is that we both love acting, you know, back from high school, and he tells me that there's an audition that night for the sketch group Potted Meat on campus, and we should go. I thought that was a great idea, with the small catch that I knew the auditions had already occurred the night before. (laughs) Well, Jeremy is nothing if not persuasive, though, so after we ate, we went on over to Lincoln Hall. We go, and there's not a lot going on there. But we see face down in the lobby a piece of paper that one of us picks up and it says auditions in room 107. All right, let's go to 107. We go down, we open the door, and 30 people turn to face us. And this one guy, Seth, says, are you guys here for auditions? And we look at each other, not to be taken off guard, we say, sure, of course we are. And we go right in. It turns out that audition was for the improv group Spicy Clamato, which, as fate would have, we both got in that night because Jeremy wanted to go to this thing that I said didn't exist. Anyway, that's gone on to shape my entire life. I know my best friends through Spicy. I even met my wife, Nikki, through Spicy. Um, Thinking about this not happening is kind of 
dizzying because my life would be very different if, it were, if something else had happened that night. But back to last year, back to the trip to the Grand Canyon. Soon, the kids, Nikki and I, were on the California Zephyr making our way westward from Chicago. The trip was fun, if simple. I spent much of my time with Evie, making sure she got her naps in while snuggled in my baby wrap up on my chest. It's great to have a nine-year-old. Uh, or nine-month-old, sorry. <laughs> a little different. Anyway, we hung out in the observation car, and I got to enjoy some new beers, including Stone IPA for the first time. Guys, that stuff could take paint off cars. One night when Evie uh, couldn't sleep, I took her back to the empty observation car and I listened to this very podcast, Your Stories, in case you were wondering. In it, Eric and Claire Friedman did a really beautiful cover of the song America by Simon and Garfunkel. Now that's a song that's got a lot of significance to me because back before we had kids, Nikki and her friend Liz took a cross-country trip to the Grand Canyon for the first time and left me alone in Peoria. And that song, America, was in my head the entire week they were gone. Let us be lovers and marry our fortunes together. I've got some real estate here in my bag. All week with that. A full day later, we got to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, naturally by steam train. There's this village there with lodges, restaurants, and shops, and the canyon is just bigger than I can describe. The local word for the canyon is kaibab, which means mountains laying down, which feels about right. Nikki got some epic pictures on the canyon rim of Evie uh, wrapped up on her back in a wrap that she wove herself. The second day we were there, we decided to hike down the Bright Angel Trail just a little, just to say we did, really. I had Evie on my front, and Nikki w uh, was watching Henry as he explored uh, the path on the way down. We went down about a quarter mile. We found this neat archway formation that Henry wanted to look at, so we let him, and we rested on, on the side of the trail there. Up from below us hiked a couple. They stopped. The wife uh, began talking to Henry. And we are all just talking conversationally, and I was soon talking to the, the husband. And the, we get around to the point of, where are you from and all that? And we said, we're from southern Illinois. He said, oh, I was born in the town of Duquoin. Have you ever heard of that? <laughs> Here we were, at the furthest point out on our journey. We would go no further than this slight trip down into the Grand Canyon. I'm looking out over the vastness and the river below. And this man is standing there telling me he's born in the town, in the hospital, where I serve on the medical board now. The country's bigger than I can imagine. This canyon's bigger than I can describe to you right now. I, anyway. <laughs> we took the long train back to Chicago, and we spent the night down in the loop before the final trip back home. That night, while I was walking the busy Chicago streets, putting Evie down to sleep in my baby wrap, something else surprising happened. I ran into Jeremy again. He was on his way to see Hamilton and what all the fuss was about. We were ecstatic <laughs> to run into each other by coincidence, and we made plans to have a beer after the show that night, which we did, which was great, because it was his birthday. Anyway. I no longer take things like this as messages from the great beyond, or God, or absolutely anything at all. A few years ago, I was talking to my friend Craig and said, sometimes I just wish the universe would give me a sign and say, hey, you're doing all right to which he put his hand on my shoulder and said, hey, you're doing all right. Thanks, Craig. Anyway, I would like to leave you guys tonight with a song that I think fairly captures what I feel like I'm going through in life right now. It's by one of my newer favorite artists, Jason Isbell, whose bold honesty in his songwriting is really refreshing. Plus, he's a country music singer who doesn't make me feel like I'm listening to the music of racism right now. 
While the song Eric is going to play does capture some of how I've been feeling lately, the lyrics aren't a perfect fit, so please interpret them a little loosely. Thank you all for your time tonight. I will be listening. Doesn't like Eric look good. Looks good. Yeah. 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 Still can't climb a rope though. Yeah. I've been working here. Monday it'll be a year. And I can't recall a day that I didn't want to disappear. But I keep on showing up. I'm hell bent on growing up. If it takes a lifetime. Learning how to be alone. I fall asleep with the TV on, and I fight the urge to live inside of my telephone. I keep my spirits high. I find happiness by and by. If it takes a lifetime, well, I got too far from my race, and I forgot where I come from and the line between. So fine. Well, I thought I loved the highway, but she beat me like a drum. And our day will come if it takes a lifetime. I don't keep liquor here. Never cared for wine or beer, but working for the county keeps me pissing clear. The nights are dry as dust, but I'm letting my eyes adjust if it takes a lifetime. Well, I got too far from my race, and I forgot where I come from, and the line between right and wrong was so fine. She beat me like a drum And our day will come If it takes a lifetime product of all the people that he ever loved and it don't make a difference how it ended up if I loved you once my friend I can do it all again if it takes a lifetime well I got too far from my raisin and we fought till we went numb you were running up a mountain from and our day will come if it takes a lifetime oh our day will come if it takes a lifetime
Okay. Thank you so much, Ben. That was really sweet. I know all the people in your story. Hey, we are all connected. And Drew told the story about how magic brought us together. I swear to God, if this next dude tells a story about how we're all going to fall apart over hatred, I'm going to be so angry. That's not going to happen, though. I'm just kidding. Uh, so the next speaker, uh, we already had the titular street wizard. This is the titular apprentice, an incredibly talented actor, wonderful human being. Please welcome to the stage, Matt Kidd. No pressure, you know, just show up and tell a nice story. Okay, sure. Um, living spell. Okay. Uh, first story I'm ever telling in front of people, so give me a little slice. Thank you. Okay. Um, I may have been gifted with an unnatural amount of naivete. And I say that because... Sometimes when you grow up, you don't know, or you just don't know any better. It's not necessarily your fault, because we all had parents, and they're gonna do their best to protect you in some way or fashion. I'm not saying I was sheltered. Did I have a heavy, was there a heavy hand of parenting and protection? Yes. This is all going to say that I may have grown up thinking I was white. <laughs> Let me explain. I grew up in the suburbs of Cleveland. I'm not proud of it, it's a fact. <laughs> in these suburbs, my parents, uh, Daisy and Monroe Kid, uh, had a lovely house my dad paid for by working at a steel mill, and I was none the wiser of where we were. I played soccer in the CYO League. I went to St. Dominic's grade school, and early this afternoon when I was writing this, I had the notion that I was the only black kid, and then I remembered Michael Mumford and a couple other people, and I was like, oh, crap, that's not the case. Uh, but the sentiment is still the same. I'm talking about tokenism. Are you guys familiar with South Park? There's a character called Token. It's a little on the nose, and when that character was revealed to me when South Park came out, it kind of resonated a bit. What I mean by that is that growing up, my family, at least on my dad's side, didn't really get along at all, and I later found that out. Uh, and so I never really saw them that much. The only people I saw were the people in my community, my church group, and most of those people had something in common. I may have already said it. But I had no issues with it. I was playing soccer, I had friends, and as I would go through life, certain things would get peeled back. And I would think, oh, that's not how I thought it was. I really thought I was supposed to be here. So as I'm going through my childhood, and I just think, hmm, I'm like everyone else. And then little things start showing up that maybe I'm not exactly the same. One that comes to mind is later on, it was in the sixth grade, and I didn't find this out till much later, but I was one of three black children who were expelled via nun at St. Dominic's. I honestly thought I was perfectly the same like everyone else. I'm like, I'm looking at Peter. He looks like me, we play soccer together. I'm looking at Brian, 
he's all of a sudden now 6'5", that is not fair. We're supposed to be the same. In fact, for some odd reason, I ended up being the shortest out of all of them. It's very weird. And as I go through life, like more and more things start being pulled back. Like, I'm just like you. Mm, nope, your dad works at a steel mill. That dad is an accountant. That dad is a doctor. That dad's a lawyer. That dad's a doctor in a field that doesn't do medicine. You didn't even know that was a thing. <laughs> and this is all to say that my parents never let me realize that. And I didn't understand it until all those things as I became an adult were pulled back. So spending a sleepover at Mr. Gasparini's with his son David and Brian, that was all normal. I didn't realize that that was the second sleepover. And Greg was actually the first one who got invited. Greg was the uh, black kid who came in around fourth grade uh, with Chris. Um, that was right around the time when I wasn't alone. I mean, yeah, Michael was still there, but I think he did transfer to like public school or something. Uh, but more and more, as I grew older, it's like everything that I thought was true starts being pulled back. The world I believed it to be, that spell I was given as a child by my parents, starts to dissipate. And the most, it wasn't just at home either, it's everywhere I go. Like, you're a product of your environment. So if you pick that kid up and send him to his grandparents, like many of you done in the summer, and you have no notion of what's different, everything's normal. So when I would go spend time with my Aunt Bev's house, who's my grandfather's uh, sister, it's weird families like that, uh, I go across the street and the kid tells me, you talk white. I'm saying words. What do you mean I talk white? And honestly, the only reason you say that is because I did this little thingy where you just tap your fingers because you didn't respond quick enough to a simple question I asked you. And I wasn't talking white. I was talking like my grandmother told me to talk, who was a teacher in Savannah School District, and my grandfather, who was a principal in Savannah Duke School Districts. And you don't piss them off. I distinctly remember uh, sitting in a car with my grandfather and for some odd reason, we got on the topic of spankings. It's a thing, it's not right, but whatever. That was like the 80s. It's not like that still happens. Uh, and I was making comparisons as to the strength of said spankings to where planets were in the solar system. Yes, I was a weird child. <laughs> and like mom was like, oh, she's Mars, whatever. Dad was like, eh, he's the moon, whatever. Grandma though, before I get to grandma, my aunt, uh, who lives in the house now, uh, she was like about Saturn. Grandma? Neptune. Grandpa? Grandpa was definitely Pluto, and that was who I was talking to. <laughs> so the notion of not speaking correctly, even when you're swearing, who my grandmother is, was a master at swearing, um, was not the case. Like, you said the word correctly. And I will never forget the spell my grandmother broke in front of me. See, that whole story of my childhood growing up was to tell you that, you know what, I didn't think anything was wrong. I looked around everyone around me and thought, you know what, I'm just like them. My dad's a doctor, my dad's an accountant, my dad's a doctor in a thing that's not medicine. But no, he worked at a steel mill, and that was slightly different. 
I never knew the difference because he never actually talked about it. I didn't realize it until I actually worked there a summer and found out how much it sucks. Like, don't work in a steel mill. Just, I hate to say it, but buy it from China. <laughs> but there I am in my grandmother's backyard, and I'm thinking, yeah, life is dope. So I exclaim in my childlike exuberance, we're rich. My grandmother shot her head around and says, no, we are not. Your mother and your father work damn hard for what they have. I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm around everyone else. We have the exact same stuff. We're in the same neighborhood. Nope. With age, the spells get pulled back. The stories that you're told by your parents to protect you, to keep you safe in a world that may not necessarily want you there, you start to see why they said it. That said, I am rich. I've got friends, I've got family, and I like to think that I was the precocious kid that was just being smart to my grandmother when she said, no, you're not rich, they work hard. I'm like, I met family, grandma. <laughs> but I think I knew better. Thank you. Hey everybody, thank you so much. Hey, so uh, if, if, you're, if, if you're rich, can I borrow some of that family? You're just like, till Friday, like, I'll pay you back. I just really need some family till Friday, please. Um, why am I doing like a stand-up set up here? I don't know. Yeah, we have one storyteller left. He is one of the writers of Street Wizards Apprentice, a former member of the Nerdlogs, and recently engaged PS. That's yeah. incredible. Let's give it up for our Ben teased him earlier. P.S. I long think that if Ben and this gentleman had gone to high school, they would be best friends. This is Andrew Bentley. Yeah. Have gone to high school together. They both went to high school. I misspoke. Well, I'm Andrew Bentley. Uh, and like many of the members of Muscular Clown, uh, I grew up in Virginia. Ah! <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> There are two different Virginias. They exist in tandem and in solution. Not so much overlapping as they are interfering, like electron waves existing in quantum superposition. They converge at strange and unforeseen angles, intersecting just beyond the horizon of expectation, and like Lovecraft's witch house, one can slip between them without knowing. It requires no particular eldritch knowledge. One has merely to turn off any random exit of I-95 to find themselves translated between the Virginia in which I grew up and that other realm looming just behind it. When asked for my personal history, I tell strangers that I'm from DC. It isn't subterfuge. It strikes me somehow as more honest, or at least more precise, than the technical truth. My town of Springfield lies 14 miles from the Pentagon, less than the length of Lincoln Park, about the same distance from this bar to Inglewood. Uh, and throughout my life, we always seem to exist more as a ventricle of the capital than some separate organ. Certainly we had more in common with the residents of DuPont Circle than we did with Culpeper or Locust Grove. But if by chance the stranger was familiar with the area, if they ventured further to ask, oh, where exactly, then there would be relief to specify Virginia, actually, Fairfax County, because that would be more honest still. In the same way, Chicago ultimately proves an insufficient mantle in that it cannot simultaneously drape both Inglewood and Roscoe Village without being distorted beyond human proportion into a meaningless idea. It is this narrow semantic divide which could not help but inevitably birth twin progeny, two Virginias, 
though one may have loitered in utero a century or two longer. Time seems to be the ultimate divide between the two, if not in passage, then in efficacy. In the wake of Charlottesville, it has never been more tempting to mischaracterize those two worlds, to look at pictures of two insoluble cultures colliding and say, here they are, the new and the old, the good and the bad, Gondor and Mordor. But they aren't interchangeable. When it comes to contrasting the blood-soaked soil of antebellum plantations with the surprisingly progressive policies of Virginia's first parrothead governor, Terry McAuliffe, new and old might divide into good and bad with little, if any, remainder. But absolute conflation would be myopic. The same transitive equality does nothing to reconcile the impossible green of the Shenandoah Valley with the Cenobite puzzle box some traffic engineer whimsically termed the mixing bowl. Now, I'll, I'll take a moment here to clarify what I mean, lest poetic turn of phrase be misconstrued as some sort of tacit apologism for abhorrent ideology. Let me say unequivocally, the ignorant and regressive fiction of white supremacy is indefensible and unworthy of defense. What I'm saying is that Virginia, perhaps more than any other state in the Union, is comprised equally of two different eras. Eras which seemingly must and yet cannot intermingle. Therein lies the peculiar magic of the state. Nowhere else have I experienced such abrupt dichotomy. In traversing the state, one seems to pass in and out of magical wardrobes too numerous for one Narnia. There is little rhyme or reason to these conduits. Pope's Head Road is one. From the modern banality of the Fairfax County Parkway, it seems innocuous. Follow it one way and arrive without incident at the George Mason University Mall. Follow it another, and you will find an unpaved, unlit avenue, one which leads to a tiny, rustic ghost town without street lights or seeming inhabitants, where any moment a red-robed warthog might chase Bryce Dallas Howard past your fender. <laughs> In Burke, our neighboring town, I once stepped 15 feet into the woods behind a 7-Eleven to take a piss and stumbled on a forgotten Civil War grave. These abrupt brushes with posterity have always felt almost religious. There is something about their proximity to the banasic and mundane that gives them a heretical ecstasy, something I've never experienced in the rural wilderness of larger, wilder states. I've never experienced it anywhere else other than the Paris catacombs, bound in on both sides by skulls older than our nation and 20 meters above by McDonald's. The schizophrenia was never more painfully compelling than in college, when I myself and many of my friends were similarly divided torn asunder between awkward childhood and equally awkward manhood, feeling fraudulent in either guise. We were attracted with seemingly irresistible force to these godless temples, usually so that we could drink and stab wildly at the incomprehensible mist of adulthood. Among the dilapidated and forsaken, we could slip backstage into life's green room and tear frenetically through myriad false beards and masks, throwing ourselves by turns into extreme personalities, cynical, maudlin, boisterous, and philosophical, hoping one would fit. There was no better place for this than Warrington. Warrington was a town with all the conveniences of the modern age from the hours of eight in the morning to eight at night. In between, the city would vanish like Brigadoon, extinguished along with the last light at the Harris Teeter, plunged into dark and quiet. My friend Brandon lived there, and while early in the evening we would watch X-Files and play Soul Calibur, there always came, at last, an hour where we would pack our bags and steal through the trees until we reached the train tracks. From there, our course was clear. These abandoned tracks, the dead veins of a vanished industry, 
led in only two directions, and we followed them like a ley line to our place of power, the hidden reaches of an immense gravel quarry. The company who had owned it was called Vulcan, and the name of that antique deity was still resonant in our ears. We would sit on the precipitous edge of a great dark bowl, and from its depths augur our futures. We would drink perfect transitional transformative elixirs, fortified wine or rum and Dr. Pepper, cloying <laughs> sweetness and bitter ethanol as if we could satisfy all our appetites, childish and jaded, and thereby reconcile them. We would give in to fervor, and then to peace, and then to whatever came after, private chancels in our common church, and our own esoteric hymns there engraved. Sometimes spitting was required, or urination. <laughs> On one summer night, these singular instructions dictated that one of us, I can't remember who, hurl a glow stick, one of our only sources of light, down into the quarry. And for reasons known only to Nathaniel, they dictated that he follow. He offered no explanation, however drunken. He only stepped out over the edge in impossible pursuit. We froze, or screamed, or bleated in protest, all different and all useless. We watched him stumble and fall in the shifting gravel and vanish downwards and disappear. We rushed to the edge, and though we could see the glow stick green and luminous somewhere below us, we could not see Nathaniel. Instead, after a moment, we heard him, laughing. We began to laugh too, desperate, crazy laughter that died moments later as it dawned on us all that what had gone down must still come up. So we watched. There was nothing we could do to help. We watched Nathaniel climb and slide downwards and climb again, and after an eternity he climbed out alone, scratched and cut, beaming through the blood, the glow stick held in one triumphant fist. We clapped him on the back and hugged him and sang his praises, not really understanding, but grateful. After a while, we retraced our steps and wandered the dead tracks home. I don't think I ever saw Nathaniel again. He left college and joined the Navy and got married and became what looked, at least to us children, very much like an adult. It was as if that night he had finally made up his mind what he was going to be and became it. While the rest of us trembled at the edge of our altar, he had made a literal leap of faith and he came back smiling. Virginia is full of magic portals. In the 22 years I lived there, I found many of them, but not all. Maybe there's one that emerges at the proper vantage point to see it all in a way that makes sense, where discordant optical illusion resolves into a single coherent image that makes the impossible reconciliation between two halves. Maybe Nathaniel found it, or maybe I just wish he had because that would make it real. Maybe you don't believe me about our stupid, wonderful state, built amidst divine beauty by ungodly cruelty, home to both statues of murderers and those who would tear them down. Maybe one more story will change your mind. Once, on the shelf of a grocery store in Dumfries in 2014, I found two unopened cases of Pepsi Blue for sale. <laughs> Pepsi Blue was discontinued in 2004. <laughs> if that's not magic, then we live in a magicless world. Thank you. Andrew Bentley, everybody. I think we can all agree he used words real good. <laughs> so, uh, Muscular Clown is hard to work on a new show, and they asked Dwight and I to contribute a song that sounds like the song we're about to play, which we're going to get into this, you guys, I promise. But, uh, 
we thought we would play the actual song. Um, so this is by The Killers. It was on the greatest hits record. It's called uh, Shot of the Night. Yes. One, two, three.
we wrote the theme song for Street Wizards of Friends as well. And it has never before been played live. This has been a Nerdalogs production. If you'd like to help make more things like this, please visit patreon.com slash nerdalogs to donate today. And go to www.nerdalogs.com for more cool stuff. Thanks for being awesome. Thank you all. Thank you all. I am Grabbot23548X.